And I have probably four or five stories where I've taken a risk at Coke where I've learned that most of the time they work. And when they don't, guess what? The company still wakes up the next day and we go on. Welcome to Total Refresh, a podcast from Coca-Cola North America that's radically refreshing. I'm your host, Katherine Cherry. And I'm Jamal Booker. On season one of Total Refresh, we're doing something we've never done before. We're inviting people everywhere to listen in as we get real with our leaders. I go into a very heated negotiation and I lose. And I was absolutely devastated. And I will say very proudly that the team after that did not lose one negotiation over the next four years. We closed them all. On this episode, we're going to go behind the scenes of bottling, manufacturing, and retail with Dagmar Boggs, Chief Retail Sales and Bottler Operations Officer in Coca-Cola North America. So national retail sales, think of our top national retailers across the U.S. We negotiate with the customer and then align with the bottlers and make it happen in the marketplace. And before she was responsible for national retail, she was president of Global for our 7-Eleven and vice president of Global at Burger King. So I'm interested in learning about her experience working in different regions and the high stakes of international business. I'm really excited to get to know Dagmar. I've admired her from a distance for a while now. She is a phenomenal female leader in our business, and I can't wait to hear more about her journey. I know you said you were from a very traditional German household, so curious to hear more about that. (laughs) Any stories you have about that as well? I do. So um, I am the first generation born here in the U.S. of German immigrant parents. So uh, my parents immigrated here after the war to the the new country, actually. This is a land of opportunity for my parents. And... um, My sister was born in Germany. My brother and I were born here in the States. And what's typical, at least with my parents, was, um, here's a funny story, is they wanted to make sure that we kept our German heritage in the family. So, of course, they gave all three of us very different names. So, um, I'm Dagmar, my brother is Uva, and my sister was Cordula. And so, you know, when I was growing up, it wasn't it wasn't that cool to have a different name. It's different now. Um, and the irony with all this is my mother and father who came from Germany were Harold and Barbara. So, it just baffles me that... <laughs> (laughs) We got these names with with parents with traditional names. So that's kind of, but that actually background has instilled a certain mental model for me. Being a child of immigrant parents really gives me an immigrant mindset, which is um, I'm always striving. Um, If you come here to the, I saw my parents, they're always striving, they're figuring out how to make it. And that was instilled in all of the kids in the family is, um, you know, you just keep trying. You'll fall down, pick yourself up, and just keep going. So I do have a bit of an immigrant mindset. Do you feel like that translates to your own leadership style, you know, courageous, standing behind your people? Is there anything from your parents that sort of translates? (laughs) I am. Oh, Jamal, I like that question. So for the people I work with, and they work so very hard, um, you know, I will fight for them, and I will want to do the right thing. Um, I think I have a pretty high risk tolerance, probably higher than the average Joe or maybe even the company, which, you know, is good and maybe not so good at times. 
Um, but what it has allowed me to do is push in areas that we normally wouldn't push to get better results. Mm-hmm. What I've done is a practice behavior. It didn't come, you know, naturally. I, you know, I kind of was like, okay, what if I did this? What if I did this? And I always thought the worst that could happen is it doesn't, you know, it falls flat. And believe me, I've had some failures. And then what I've learned from failure is how do you get back up? Mm-hmm. And so as when I close the loop on that, that I can always get back up, learn from it, and do something more and better, once I've got that mental model in my head, I was able to take more risks. Sure. So we know you studied in Europe, uh, international studies and finance, and just kind of curious how this shaped your worldview, having the international lens and how it kind of, how do you, how does that help you shape your career as well? So um, I actually really like that question because when I was in high school and I was thinking about business and then when I got into college, I thought, you know, not just business. No, it's got to be international business because my background was very international. If you're born, you know, if you have the heritage of a of a non-U.S. family like my parents, you do have a bit of a global view. You know what's going on around the world. And I always thought, well, I want to continue that in my life. So one reason I went to Rollins is I had this great year abroad program in Vienna, which I actually did a lot of um, business courses in German there. So when I got out, the reason I actually ended up coming to Coke because it was international. And I figured if I could get into Coke, hey, that's a global footprint. I should be able to navigate my way um, into a role that would allow me to do international jobs. And that's exactly what happened. Now, it makes it sound like I was, you know, I was very strategic and I knew step by step what I was going to do. No, I just knew what I wanted to do. And my path took a zigged and zagged a little bit to get to um, international roles. Didn't happen right away. I want to learn more. It's chief retail sales and bottling operation officer. What is this role? Like, if we break that down, <laughs> what is it? What what does that involve? It's On, a walk great us role. through your day. Yeah. Like, what's a day in the life? Well, so national retail sales, think of our top re- national retailers across the US, right? And we have customer teams that work on behalf of the bottling system. So, we have these great bottling partners. We have 60 of, 68 of them across the U.S. And this NRS team, or National Retail Sales Team, is they work with the customers to say, hey, this is the national plan that we want to we want to execute this year. You know, when you see a, if you go to your drug stores, convenience retail, uh, mass merchants, and you see a promotion out there, it took many, many alignment meetings with the customer and our bottling partners to make that happen. It is not centralized decision-making. It's matrixed. So if you look at a bottler, that business is made up of three chunks of business, let's say. So the bottler will have what we call national retail sales, right? So they have all these big national players as part of their portfolio. They're going to have a little bit of local business, you know, the individual independent operators, and then they will have on-premise. And then we, you know, jointly build a plan to have growth in the marketplace. You've described in a past interview around starting a new role Mm -hmm. and then crashing and burning. I did crash and burn. Right? (laughs) You want to hear that story, don't you? I want to hear it because (laughs) I do think there is, there's two sides of the coin, right? Some folks wake up with this fire in their belly to go out and take on the world. Mm -hmm. And then one 
day, you almost just have to have a similar courageous conversation with yourself about, have I pushed too hard? How am I balancing this all? I'd just love to hear more about that. What's the flip side of risk? (sighs) The flip side of risk. I don't know if there's a flip side to risk. Of course, you can always get hurt. And let's be clear. I mean, that's why people uh, don't take risk because you hold back and you don't want to get hurt. And I don't know. My mindset has always been, you know, go for it. Now, I've had, so let me share a failure with you. I, um, when I was appointed to lead the Burger King business, there's a, there was a point in my head, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not really sure I know about the, I don't know about the global footprint. I got to learn this business. I got to learn the team. And always goes through your head. I was like, do I have what it takes, right? You have those questions in your mind. And um, and then I decided, well, I better retrain how I think because if that's going to be my mindset when I question my own um, capabilities, that will not be helpful to the team or the business. So what I did is I changed the mantra in my head. I said, look, I can learn anything. Hmm. And not only can I learn anything, I can I can be really good at this and I will be good at this. And so I really changed my mindset and I worked on that every day when I was in that role. I would work on that whole mental model of I can learn anything and we are going to deliver the plan and we're going to do great things. So I get new enroll. I um, come in. I, I remember this is the end of 2010. Burger King gets purchased by a private equity company and they kind of throw everything on its head. They throw the whole world into negotiation. I go into a very heated negotiation and I lose. And I was absolutely devastated. Now, had I not done that mental work or this mental gymnastics of, hey, I can learn anything and, you know, we're going we're gonna to do what it takes, I probably would have defaulted to, oh, my gosh, you know, what just happened and this is going to be my next four years. What I did instead was like, wow, that, that was kind of in your face because it hit the newspapers and didn't feel good. What did we learn from that? And so we learned the playbook of this private equity company. We learned how they were going to go across every single market and and renegotiate with us. And I will say very proudly that the team after that did not lose one negotiation over the next four years. We closed them all. Nice. So... um, that goes back to my earlier point. Yeah, we're we're going to step our toes. We took some. I took some risks in that negotiation. Didn't play out clearly, but took that information and then used it secure business and grow business around the world. And so that was a big learning moment for me. And also about look risk. Yeah, I took it. Didn't work, but hey, it worked in the long run. So we know you have two kids, yes. right? Yeah. So it was interesting. I think you said uh, when your daughter was eight. She said that you're not a normal mom, right? Air quotes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you made a decision to tell her the truth. Right. So if you can kind of share that story with us, kind of walk us through sure. how that happened in your response. So um, I was a single parent. After my husband passed away, I was a single parent. And um, my children were, um, when they passed away, they were six and eight. But at, um, at eight, my daughter was in fourth grade. And she looked at me and said, Mom, you are not like the other moms. And, you know, she was incredulous. Like, you know, I heard the whole story. Nina's mom was a room parent. And my son, Will, said, you know, Stefan's mom has snacks waiting for him. And, you know, I got the whole download. And there was a moment, and I remember it to this day, I wanted to defend it and say, look, you know, every soccer game I'm there and every birthday party there, but that's not what they were saying. They weren't saying I wasn't there at those events. What they were saying is I am not like the other moms. Mm. And, you know, they're absolutely right. And I thought, you know, 
it isn't the truth. It was my truth. Mm. So very different because mm-hmm. everybody has a different truth. My sure. truth was, you know what? Whether I was a widow or not, um, I liked work. And I didn't want to use excuses. I have to work to pay the bills. I wanted to be very honest with my children and say, you're absolutely right. Um, I am not like those other moms. And I actually love those moms. I adore them. Uh, but I'm not like them. I like the work. I am very good at it. I, I, I make things happen on a big scale. That gives me a sense of satisfaction. I'm always learning. And I love you very much. And I love you. I want you to know that the world's open for you, too. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a little unsettling for them because that's not the answer they wanted. But, you know, you fast forward in the high school years and my kids cannot wait to bring home their friends and brag on me. It's like, awesome. my mother's an executive coke, and she's a badass. That is awesome. And, um, and even today, they're in college, and they're, oh, mom, come meet my friends. Come, I've told them all about you. So what they've done, and I showed up one of my daughter's essays um, for college. She basically said, look, my mother was an inspiration for me that I can be multidimensional, which means I am not confined to one definition or another. I can decide what I want to be. And if I can instill that in my kids, regardless, you want to be a, a mom, a working mom, or a career, whatever, however you want to define that. I just wanted to share with my kids, you can choose what you want to be and let go of the noise, the outside noise. And I think that's how they are now looking at the world, which makes me very proud of them. Awesome. Awesome. And I think you said around the time they were teenagers, you changed roles again. <laughs> and I think you said something along the lines of you needed a different job still with meaningful work. Yeah. So tell us what you were looking for around so that time. So that's actually, um, that was a defining moment in my life. So that's when my um, husband passed away and they were actually um, six and eight at the time. So they're very, very young. And I remember going, I was doing an international role at the time based out of Atlanta. And I thought, wow, um, I can't do that anymore. You know, I have two young kids. I needed to stabilize them and myself. And so I went back to Coke. And this is what I love about Coke. I went back to Coke and said, look, this is my family situation. Um, still want to do meaningful work and make contributions, but we're going to have to do it differently. And they said, okay. And so I started interviewing for domestic roles. You know, I figure if I had to travel, maybe I could find something domestic. And two roles popped up. One was a sales position in North America, which required a lot of travel. And the other one was more of a staff role in corporate, um, leading strategy and running the global customer commercial leadership office. And uh, they were both great jobs, but the defining moment... The decision maker for me was travel. So the hiring manager in the global commercial leadership role looked at me and said, look, if you could become my EA, EA, what does that mean? That's um, an executive assistant. And in the Coke world, it's more like chief of staff. You just travel when you want to. And I thought, done, I'll take that job. Um, Because at that point, I had different hierarchy of needs. And I will tell you that that role, um, being executive assistant, was opened my eyes to the whole global footprint. It's funny how things work because global customer commercial leadership, you then have the purview what's going on the global footprint and how decisions are made in every different market. But I learned a lot and it allowed me to reduce my travel, do strategic work and um, get in a better position for my next role. You know, every company has its strengths and its weaknesses, but Coke, when it comes to its people, 
um, we ultimately end up doing the right thing. I've just seen it time and time with the company 23 years, and they actually helped me through a very challenging time in my life. And then when I was ready, it allowed me to come back in and still take the contributions to the next level. So very loyal mm-hmm. and inspired by Coke as well. You you be the judge if you think this is too personal, but I'm curious – where did you meet your husband? What was the story? <laughs> like, I want to hear the the romance of My this man who goodness. inspired this, like, <laughs> transformational businesswoman. You're, like, pressure. It's like how you put pressure on something and a diamond comes out. And it's a yeah. terrifying and horrible situation. But Yeah. No, it's, um, I learned a lot from being with my husband. And after my husband passed, I learned a lot. So I married an older man. He was 15 years older. He actually was a business consultant for the Coca-Cola company. And so that's how I met him. And he was bigger than life. He was highly charismatic. He was a strategy consultant. Um, He gave a lot of speeches. He could hold a room of a 1,000 people in the palm of his hand. Hmm. He would hang on every word. So Hmm. just very charismatic and um, great father. He actually saw things in me, because we met through the business world, that I didn't see yet. And um, he used to say something to me, which to this day I remember. He goes, Dan, he goes, you know, you think they're so much smarter than you. And I and I am, you know, working at those higher levels. He goes, they're, they're not that much smarter. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> and I remember thinking, wow. And of course, you know, you don't really believe that's your husband. He's going to say, you know, the, the right things that you want to hear. But he was very sincere. He was very supportive of me. I tell my children this. You know, I had been in relationships before. I'd been engaged before. And I think one reason why I didn't go through with it was because they wanted me to be the corporate wife. And on some level, I didn't want to be the corporate wife. I wanted to be in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. And Bill understood that, and he admired that, and he nurtured that in me and helped me build my skills and my confidence. For that, I will always be grateful. And then when he passed, what I learned is he's not there. I've got to dig deep and you know, rely on myself and be very resilient to bring my kids along. And sometimes when you go through something that traumatic and dramatic, that's your most, your growth comes out even harder and faster. And that's what happened to me. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you. Let's switch gears. What can we learn from our bottling partners, from our frontline? What's one thing that every Coke employee should do to model that behavior? I'm so impressed with our frontline when I go in the marketplace and I, whether it's our merchandisers or sales or DSMs, um, their love of the the brand and their commitment to excellence and to execute, I, um, I really admire that passion because where it happens is when they're in the store, they make it happen. Whether you're delivering it or you're merchandising it or you're selling it in, um, that sense of focus and drive. And what I do, what I really enjoy is how they think about all our categories um, in totality, right? So water, juice, energy, sparkling, value-added dairy. So that totality of how they think about the business, um, I think I, I always admire that. And that is something I think we all can carry in because sometimes you work in an office and your meetings are all the time. You forget the action happens at that level. Mm -hmm. The action happens, you know, whether it's in the warehouse or distribution center or sales center, you know, everything that has to happen for it to show up in the store is absolutely amazing. And the coordination, the communication and the focus. And I will say this, when our 
When you have our bottling partners and that frontline focus on the right things, and that's always the key thing, right? You got to get the right things, you know? Oh my God, you're a machine. You have to make sure we're just focusing on the right thing because sometimes we've got, you don't want to boil the ocean. We make sure we're focusing at the right things at the right time. And when they do that, get out of the way, bar none, there's no other system that can drive the value that they can. So curious, iterative, inclusive, and... Empowered. We are empowered. curious. Yeah. We yes. are yes. iterative, and we are inclusive. Yes. Mm-hmm. So just from your perspective, is there one that you most struggle with? Yeah, not that I str- I think of those four. I mean, and I appreciate these growth behaviors because they're kind of how my mind works. I'll come at it that um, I'm naturally curious, so that I, I live in that one well and empowered. I believe in, you know, getting, building capabilities with your team so they feel they are empowered and inclusive. I mean, that's really kind of how I'm wired. You know, I like to get everybody's best thinking out there and I always build on their ideas. But it will probably be the one that I, I probably should spend more time on. I um, I have high expectations for what we can do as a team and also as myself. So I always like to show up and say, well, this is it. We have the answer. And what I've learned is there's always a better add to the answer. And if I, if I you know, scan the room or ask the right questions, people will build on the idea and always make it better. And so to stop and be patient and let the idea really grow or let someone else's idea grow, what people can iterate on it, is something that I'm continuing to work on. We focus on the right things, but we also know that our focus is shifting to total Bev as well, right? So just how has that impacted your organization, you know, the bottlers, as we shift to this total Bev mindset? I think it is a mindset. I, I, how I'd first start with is where is the consumer going and what does the shopper want? And so this total beverage company approach is absolutely spot on because you know, there are some categories or even some white space categories that we need to be thinking about where the consumers are going and the shoppers are going. And so um, as we continue to expand our portfolio, we come then with a total value creation solution to our national retail customers, right? Because we are then talking to their shoppers of what they want. And so it makes us that much more valuable and we know how to activate and grow brands. So whether it's like I mentioned, you know, water or isotonics or sports or energy, um, and we'll be getting more and more, hopefully, you know, coffee and grow a tea. And with, there are so many things we can bring as a solution to help our customers grow their business. And so I, f- I find that destination for us as, as a company very exciting and the absolute right path for us. I also look at it as it it fits beautifully into the plus one vision that we have for North America. Because if you think of plus one, and I love this, right? I have eight beverages a day. We're getting one. What happens if we get one more? What's been your experience with mentorship, both with female mentors and male mentors? And what do we have to learn from both? Yeah, I mentor a, a lot of women. And I mentor men, too. But a lot of women, and what I've learned with, they're highly capable but a woman tends to believe I have to know all 10 things before I get to the next job. Whereas a guy will basically, <laughs> men will say, hey, I got three of those 10, I can do that job. So really working on their mental model of um, you've got what it takes, you know, continue to build your skills, but, you know, keep stretching for those opportunities. 
Um, the mentors I had coming up through my career were, were mostly men hmm. because the woman I saw, and I'm much older than you are, I didn't want to be like them. Hmm. They wanted to um, show up acting like a man. And I realized I am not a man. I am a woman. I have different characteristics. And um, I want to be me, but be the best me in the in the environment to lead and drive performance. And so I decided, let me just learn about the business and didn't follow those women. And hopefully now I can show other women coming up, you can be yourself and you can show up and, and have and be female and be successful and know the business and continue to drive your capabilities because if you don't, only half the thinking shows up to your earlier point. Yeah. So Jim Dinkins, I think we all know him. He's our um, president of North America. Jim has done a great job expanding his leadership team. It's very diverse. And what and what I really admire about Jim is he drives, let me, you know, what what can you bring to the table? What can you, you know, what can you drive for this business working with the other folks on my leadership team? I don't I don't care. Yeah. When I interviewed for the 7-Eleven job, um, that's a top five global customer. That's a pretty big customer. And I was coming off the Burger King business and I got the job for 7-Eleven. And, but you have to remember, I knew nothing about a bottling system. Zero. And so you put me on the 7-Eleven business, which is all bottle can. Half the business is bottle can. The other half is dispensed. And um, the first six months were very, very hard. And you know, Jim is a very, uh, um, I want to say tough manager, but he's very determined that you understand the business. And it took me a while to learn it. Finally learned the business. We got good results. And we had our one-on-one at the end of the year. And I looked at him after he went to the review. His review was very good. And I said, Jim, what were you thinking? He goes, what do you mean? I go, I knew nothing about bottle can. And you put me on this large customer. He goes, I don't, I don't hire for experience. I hire for skills. Hmm. I hire for what you can bring to the table. We can teach you the technical part of the business, but we hire for everything else you can bring to the table. Mm. And so that's why I'm very encouraged about having him in a leadership role because that is his mental model. Mm. And he pushes me when we hire people. It's like, I don't care. What else do they have? (laughs) So I think you'll see, I, I think you'll see that permeate the organization more and more. Dagmar, thank you so much for being with us and for sharing with us today. Thank you, Dagmar. This was absolutely fantastic on the next episode of total refresh i get uncomfortable when people talk about stuff about me and the reason i get uncomfortable about it is my job is different but it's not more important than anybody else's however i am also not naive enough to know that you know i am in a position that does have the ability to have a big impact Stay refreshed by subscribing to Total Refresh on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere podcasts are found. Total Refresh is a production of the Coca-Cola Company in partnership with Frequency Media. We're your hosts, Jamal Booker and Catherine Cherry. The show is executive produced by Michelle Corey and Rose Reed and produced by me. Cooper Skinner is our sound engineer and editor. Our music is composed by Thomas Avery at Tune Welders. And our artwork is by Tova Rosenberg. A special thanks to all the Coca-Cola employees who made this podcast possible.